And then also, typically every single month, they have what's known as the diamond excursion. And so just like the word excursion means, they excursion some places to go have a great time of fellowship in great events. They went to Fort Toulouse, they went to a pioneer village, they went to museums and things of that nature. And so it's always a great time. And so if you're age 50 or older and you're looking for a group just to have some great camaraderie, great fellowship and a great time with, come visit us at Open Door Baptist Church and we'll get you connected with the Diamond Ministry. If you're looking for something to do Sunday nights at 6 p.m., we'd love to have you join. This is Sanchez. Hello, Will. You got my helicopter out front? <laughs> later this year? It's coming in later? Okay. I was telling, telling some folks, I'm going to start a helicopter ministry, you know. Um, we'll fly over Prattville. We'll drop little flyers all over the neighborhood. The city will love it. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, welcome to Time Change Sunday. Glad to have you all here We and watching online. If you're watching online, Hello to you. Good morning to you. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning, 1 Peter chapter number 5, and we are on a, in a series through 1 Peter 5 with the topic of anxiety. And each week I'm kind of giving a little different topic, a little different tweak on the title that's going to kind of indicate what we're kind of deal with a little bit, dealing with anxiety. Got a few weeks left on this series. I'm enjoying studying it my personally very, very much. So if you're not enjoying it, I, it's one of those ones I am uh, personally. Uh, we have uh, put as our main text, verse number seven, which is right in the very center of this chapter, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Uh, now we have looked at an overview and then last week we began our journey by reading verses one to four. And we saw that uh, in verse number two, the Bible tells elders to feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, this verse two, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but as examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Let me have a word of prayer and then let's move on in our, our chapter this week. Lord, it's been good to be here. It's been good to sing, be reminded that mighty is your name. It's been good to be reminded of the simplicity of the gospel that, uh, that we find in the book of Numbers and also in John chapter 3 where you reminded us that just as Moses put that serpent on a pole, so as you were lifted up on a cross, that all that is necessary is that we look and live. And Lord, we're so thankful that salvation is a free gift and that it can be obtained through simple faith. Now, God bless us as we deal with an issue of our daily lives, even those of us who are your children. Uh, God, I know it's a, it's a, it's a battle. Um, the times that we live in are stressful. And God, I pray that we would see and trust your word and your spirit as our source of uh, strength through these times. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, today's title is Getting Over Anxiety, Getting Over Anxiety. Now, last week we saw help with anxiety. We found getting help with anxiety from a biblical perspective in verses 1 to 4 is that every believer needs a pastor and a pasture. That's what last week was. If you didn't listen, you can go online, watch it or listen to it. I encourage you to do so. Uh, every believer needs a pastor and a pasture. If, if you want to deal with anxiety effectively from a biblical perspective, every believer needs a pastor and a pastor needs a flock. Now today, we're going to look at the idea of getting over anxiety. Ever had any, anybody tell you the phrase, just get over it? Heard that one? Just get over it. Now, is that good advice or bad advice? 
Well, I got, okay, it's about like, well, no, we were pretty unanimous on the time change thing. I think that one carried, that motion carried pretty good. Uh, I think that went a little more, you know, th- there are times where really the simplest answer is in some areas of our life, it, you know, I can't get over it. Yes, you can. You, you can make a choice and just get over it. But there can also be the, the, the problem sometimes, especially pastors or guys, you know, it's easier for me just to get up here and say, hey, just get over it. And when in real life, sometimes it's, it's not that simple, is it? Sometimes God grants us the grace and strength to, he delivers us from some issue in our life, just takes it from us, and I love it when he does that. You know, you have this big issue, and you pray about it, and God just says, I got it, you know? But a lot of times, that's not how it goes. Dealing with anxiety is usually a long, difficult battle. It's not, you know, take a couple aspirin, you'll be better in the morning. I know as I get older, it doesn't seem to get any easier. Uh, I have a cousin who loves the Lord. Her and her family live back in uh, Illinois. See, Illinois is having a snowstorm this morning. (laughs) Roads are icy, and they got time change, and it's just terrible, you know. We just got a little bit of rain out there. No big deal. Uh, So (laughs) I looked, it was like... 28 degrees or something this morning up there. Uh, Anybody right with God would not live up there. Um, Yeah, the Deaton family, you know. How are you missing, uh, was it Indiana? No, No, you're from Memphis. That that might be worse. I was going to say, you're from Memphis. I'm glad you're all here alive. Um, Memphis. Um, But... uh, getting older, it doesn't get any easier. My cousin, she teaches, uh, they're active in their church, and she taught junior church or Sunday school last week, and she put a thing on Facebook, and Julie, if you're listening, really appreciate you posting your life experience on there, but she was teaching the four- and five-year-old little kids class, and she said after class was over, they were waiting between the, the Sunday school class and the main service, and she said, so I sat in the room, that the children's room that we had the class in, and said one of the little kids came, you know, a little, I know a little boy came up to me, and he had found in the toy bin one of those, those medical kits, you know, you know, Addie has one of those, and, and put the stethoscope around his neck and came, came up to her and, and said, you know, you, you know, do you doctor and of course my cousin being you know the nice lady she is said oh yeah yes I do and she goes he goes well what's wrong with you so my cousin who is older than me um, (laughs) uh, my cousin who's older than me uh, she said well I have achy knees and achy fingers any of our diamonds here this morning that have with this rain has achy knees and achy fingers some of us are doing that Hunter you're way too young you cannot have that yet Um, (laughs) those of us over 50 don't even recognize it Um, no just kidding Bad for you if it's starting now. But she goes, I have achy knees and achy fingers. And the little, the little boy took his, took his uh, you know, the stethoscope and he put the stethoscope on her knee and then he put it on her fingers, you know, <laughs> real effective. And, and uh, he goes, okay. He's, he listens. He goes, okay. He looks at her and he says, you need an x-ray. So then he takes the stethoscope and he goes over her knee and her finger and he's going, and, and my, my cousin says, Okay, doctor, doctor, what's wrong with me? She goes, this little, little child looked her right now and says, you are old. <laughs> and my cousin goes, I must have surprised the little guy because my cousin, who's just a really wonderful person, Julie looked, you know, kind of like, like, I'm old. And so she said, and then the little boy looked at her kind of indignantly and said this, said, well, if you don't like it, you can take the x-ray to another doctor if you want a second opinion. <laughs> I'm like... 
I don't know this morning if how much anxiety you have. Hopefully it will be a help to you today. Um, I, I do know there is hope, and I pray that through this whole series, one of my purposes is to, if you're dealing with panic and anxiety, which many of us do, that there is hope. Um, but sometimes it is, a, it is a battle, but there is victory through faith and through right choices that you make over and over after you fall, that you get back up and do the right thing. But this morning when I used our title, Getting Over Anxiety, I, I'm a little, I was a little, uh, how do I put this? Um, I, I'm not here this morning. I don't, maybe you'll be leave here this morning and never anxiety ever again. And if that's your case, please tell me that because I'd really love that. So would everybody else. We'll hate you, but we'll love hearing about it. Um, it's not so much this morning that I can tell you exactly how you get over and it's never going to be a problem again. It's more from the standpoint of getting over anxiety. In other words, how do I get on top of it? Ever had anybody get something over on you? you know, ever, know what I'm phrase? None of you ever had that done. If you don't know you've had it done, then somebody's done it to you. You know, maybe a, some of you have bought vacuums from vacuum salesmen. Um, some of you have bought, okay, I won't even go there. I'll, I'll leave it off. It, ever had somebody that fooled you or gave you an unexpected outcome? This morning, I want to give you an opportunity or to, from biblical principle. How can I get over and get the better of anxiety instead of letting anxiety always get the better of me? Sometimes things happen in life where we get things that come out differently than we thought they might. Uh, I was reminded of this, uh, again, one of our, I love it where, you know, again, you put it on Facebook and, you know, that, that's, that's on you. I'm going to, we have a little, little boy in our church, not just my cousin's church, my cousin that's older than me. It's not that, they don't just have kids. Aren't you glad the number of kids we have running around here? I tell you, it's a blessing. Yeah, amen. See, some of you been here on here too long, you don't realize a lot of churches, Bible teaching churches, they're just no children. And it's a blessing to have him. Well, one of my favorite little little human beings around here, I got a picture of him coming up here. This is Emery James. Um, many of you know Emery James. Look both ways before you go down. I don't, I don't see Jamie and Emery here this morning. Maybe they're watching online. Uh, see, so you should have been here. I'm going to tell stories about you. Now I can say whatever I want. Um, but little Emery James, one of my favorites. I mean, he's wide open. You know, there is no, you know, he, it, it's just going. And he's just the cutest little thing. And Jamie was saying how and he likes to sit and sing songs. You'll sometimes find him before church. He'll come up here on the platform in the choir thing and sit there and sing. Yep, some of y'all have heard him up there. He's just practicing. He's, maybe I ought to get him. The choir would be much cuter. Um, Lori, maybe. get him in there. Um, but she said that he, she was at the house the other day and he was sitting in a chair and she heard him singing and she was thinking to herself, oh, what a nice little boy. He's so good. He's sitting over there. He's singing these wonderful little songs. And she that he's singing that classic song that if you have children and you don't know this song then your child's been deprived somehow but I know I know this song as a grandfather because my granddaughter loved it still still does you know the wheels on the bus go if you're allowed to art, they know it. The wheels on the bus go round and round. And, he, and little Emery James up there singing it. And she's thinking, oh, this is really great. So she's, I'm going to tune in this a little bit closer. And so she got closer, you know, without him knowing it. You know how you do that, parents? And then she heard him get the, to verse number two where he said, the wheels on the bus go crash, 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 crash. Ah, look out! <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that's a boy, uh, you know, um, how fast will this bus go? Um, crash, crash, crash. And uh, not the outcome, 
that she thought was going to be there when she started listening. Well, I hope this morning this will be a blessing to you as we look at a biblical principle. Um, you know, first, as we see in 1 Peter 5, get a pastor and a good flock in your life. The next principle to getting over an anxiety is see, continuing to deal with it God's way. So let's pick things up on our story in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 5. The Bible says, Likewise, younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Peter reminds them that he said, likewise, ye younger. Now, remember, the first four verses, remember, he was talking to the elders. And we saw that was, he was speaking in the first few verses specifically to lead pastors and pastors and authority in a local church and the responsibility they had to feed the flock. And now he, he moves to the younger. And this could be younger in spiritual standing and in some ways a younger even in, in a maturity way or a life experience way. He, he tells the, the elders, here's your responsibility. Then he says, likewise, Ye younger, you've got a responsibility as well. You have a responsibility to be accountable and submit to the leadership that God has called in your life. I'm going to tell you, sometimes one of the weary things in being a pastor is is people that want advice over and over and, and don't want to do the very simple things they ought to do. Just telling you. Um, they, oh, you know, get, come in the leadership, then do whatever you want to do. Now, ultimately, that's the choice every one of us makes. But what God is saying here is just as the elders have a responsibility to lead, the, the, the younger has a responsibility to follow. The, the flock gets a pastor or a under-shepherd, and then the flock ought to follow the under-shepherd that God has called into their life. Now, he goes on to say there should be this clear authority structure, but there should also I love how he does this in verse 5. He says, be submitted to the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another. This same thing you find in Ephesians 5 where wives are commanded to submit themselves to their husbands. By the way, their own husbands, not anybody else's. Um, you know, it gets taken way out of line sometimes. But then if you read in Ephesians and in other places, you're going to find it also says, and also there should be submission between everybody. So it's not just wives that are supposed to be submitted christians are supposed to be submitted people submitted to one another not thinking of my own things but thinking about somebody else's and how that happens is he says they're subject to one another and be clothed with humility now i'm glad this morning that y'all came to church with clothes on we don't have a lot of requirements here at church, but we prefer clothes be on, okay? Um, we really prefer it and come, you know, looking nice and whatever, just come to church, put some clothes on, be, be nice. And I can look and say, you know, you know, uh, Taylor had a really nice blue dress on. It was bright. She was bright. Wasn't she beautiful this morning, the husband? Yes, okay, make sure you're right. Your mother-in-law's sitting right behind you, so I would answer that question carefully. And your own mom. They'll probably both hit you. Um, but... Um, we ought to come to church and live our Christian lives clothed with humility. That when people see you, they see a humble person. Now, I don't know, sometimes defining humility can be difficult, but some people say it's just ignoring yourself to the betterment of someone else. It's realizing that others may have more answers than you do. Humility is recognizing that you could be wrong. Humility is willing to admit that you need help. Humility is a teachable spirit. You know, when you consider here in 1 Peter 5, 
he's telling the, the younger to submit to the elder. Basically, have you ever considered that maybe, just maybe, there's somebody in life that has a few more answers to issues than you do? And one of the biggest problems folks have sometimes is recognizing the wealth of knowledge that might be stored inside the heart and mind of a grandparent. They've done some things, made some mistakes. Finding someone who's spiritually a little farther down the road in their walk with the Lord and being close to them and so they can be of, of wisdom to you, but instead we say, well, no, I know what I need to do. I, I, I know, I know, no. Maybe, maybe you have a more anxiety because you're not cold in humility and you don't have a submissive mindset one to another. Peter goes on to say why this is so important in verse number five. He goes on and says, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now, most Bible teachers think, and I would agree with them, that when Peter says this, uh, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, he's pointing back to the Old Testament. Many people think he's referring to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34, where the Bible says, surely he scorneth the scorners, but giveth grace unto the lowly, to the humble. That, and in Proverbs there in the Hebrew, it's a strong words there that basically military terms that God, he scorns the scorner. He draws a line in the sand and basically says, oh yeah, you're going to do that? Well, then I'm, I'm going to resist you. But if you're humble, he gives grace. Often when I'm battling anxiety, I have believed the lie that Satan has placed in my heart and in my mind. Almost every time, matter of fact, I thought about it, maybe every time that anxiety comes, it's because I start believing something that is a lie that Satan has put in my heart or in my mind and on my emotions. He says things like, you're not good enough. You'll never feel good again. You're a lousy parent and a spouse. If God really loved you, he'd make you better. You see, often my anxiety is driven by a fundamental choice to believe my adversary, to believe my flesh, my feelings, or my perspective instead of what God says about me. Now, don't miss this. Every time you and I choose to believe and to start accepting what Satan is telling about us, about us, that is a lie, and we start acting in obedience to that lie and accepting that lie, we have rejected what God says about me. That's called pride. No, God, I don't really, I don't, I'm not feeling what you say. I'm not, I'm not seeing the way you th that you're telling me to go. I'm not seeing it. The root issue there is fundamentally pride. Peter reminds these anxious believers, remember this letter was written to folks that Jewish believers had been dispersed all over and They'd lost their jobs. Many of them lost the relationship with their families. These folks were suffering persecution. They were having some time. They had some anxiety issues. And Peter reminds them that God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the broken. He gives grace to the submitted. Now, in the Old Testament, the word grace is usually translated a couple different things. There's a couple different Hebrew words that people try to... that. that, that bring us the sense of the New Testament idea of grace. There's the idea of loving kindness and there's the idea of favor, to be in favor with someone. For example, uh, Genesis 39 verse 21, but the Lord was, was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. 
So here's Joseph in prison and he finds favor with God. Exodus chapter 12, verse 36, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. This is when the people were leaving Egypt, and God gave the people favor in the sight of people who were their adversaries. Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Also loving kindness. How excellent, Psalm 36, 7, is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift my soul unto thee. Now is that not a verse for anxiety or what? Psalm 63, 3, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. I'm telling you, the last six verses, especially the last three I just gave you, there's some antidote for anxiety right there. This is the grace life. Now, here's the question this morning that, that Peter, that God is bringing to our attention today is, is, do you want the pride of doing things your own way and accepting lies about you from the adversary or your flesh or somebody else, or do you want to choose to be humble and acknowledge God's favor on your life and receive that loving kindness? Which one do you want every day? Do you want the answers to all your questions or do you want God's grace? Do you demand God give you all these different things or do you want God's loving kindness? Will you let your fear rule or will you let God's grace provide? See, I don't think we value enough loving kindness and the favor of God in our lives enough. And we spend all the time in our fear mode, in our panic mode, in our I've got to figure it all out mode. And while that happens, we lose the loving kindness. We lose the grace life along the way. God resists the proud. In context, who's he talking about here? I know we can just say, oh, somebody that's proud. He's talking about the person that refuses to submit to some to place that God's called him, to some leadership that God's called in their life, refuse to do it, refuse to be a person of humility, refuse to be a, have a teachable spirit. He said, and then you don't have any grace and you wonder why anxiety is, is whooping you every single day. Grace, how much do we value it? He goes on, continues his thought. It's amazing. He talks from submission to humility to gives grace, and then he doubles down again. says, humble yourselves, therefore, verse 6, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. He doubles down on, all right, you're supposed to be clothed with humility because when you're humble, you can receive grace. When you're not humble, God resists you. And so he says, humble yourselves, therefore. Understand the relationship you have with God and that God's ways and God is so much bigger than we are. I, I kept struggling. This is probably what I spent the most time, all the money y'all pay me, for me to sit around and think and pray. This is what I, what I wrestled with this week in this passage was, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, in spite of everything he told you in verse 5, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I'm going to tell you, when you deal with anxiety and panic and depression, it will get you down. Down, 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 down. I can't go any lower because I won't be able to get back up. Any else, anybody else ever know what I'm talking about? 
Do you know what I, you've dealt with depression and anxiety. You know how dark life can become and how low you can go. I want you to see that he says, humble yourselves there in front of the mighty hand of God that he may what? Exalt you. Lift you back up. I know that's what I need when I'm in, the, in one of the middle of those battles, but I kept thinking to myself and praying, God, what in the world do you mean by why are you telling me I should humble myself under the mighty hand of God? And, and as Peter does frequently throughout his letter, because he had a Jewish audience, Peter does a lot of reference in this letter using the Old Testament because many of them would have been aware of that. So I thought to myself, what is the deal with being under the mighty hand of God? So I did my you know, handy-dandy thing on the computer, which, boy, back in the day when I first started pastoring, we didn't have Google searches, which, forget Google anyway. We didn't have DuckDuckGo or other good search engines to find out. I had a commentary <laughs> and get a book out. You know, which I still have my books because when the whole world goes down, I'm still going to have my strongest concordance. Amen? Okay. All the book people said amen. Um, all you people been going, I don't know. I don't know. All I have is my online Bible. Um, but I went there and I looked up the idea and I put the phrase in there, the mighty hand. And it was interesting to me that while it had a couple different uses, it had one that it used over and over and over again. Now, I'm not real bright, but I'm not real slow either. And I looked at that and said, okay, what's the significance? Now, I'm going to show you uh, from the Bible, because that's what I like to do. See if you can figure this out, all right? Exodus chapter 32, verse 11, we find this, this phrase used. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a what? Mighty hand. Deuteronomy 5.15, and remember thou was the servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God brought thee out hence through what? A mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Deuteronomy 6.21, Then thou shalt say to thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt, how? With a mighty hand. Deuteronomy 7, verse number 8, But the Lord loved you, and because, you would, and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers. By the way, aren't you glad that God keeps his oath? Yeah. Were they being good Jewish people? No, they had made a lot of mistakes, but God kept his word. Their behavior was irrelevant because God said, I'm going to do this, so God did it. This is just free. This isn't even in my notes. This is just free, literally free, all right? This extra stuff. This is how I preached an hour last week because it just came free. Stuff kept coming. But here's a free one to you. This is why your salvation, never lose sight of this because you're going to hear all across and on your radio and on your TV that your salvation is determined by the way you behave. That you have to produce fruit. By your fruit you shall know them. I'm amazed how many Christians know that and the 98% of them that have no idea what that really means. has nothing to do with your eternal standing before God because Jesus said, if you'll believe in me, I will give unto you, present tense, eternal life and you shall never perish. So it's not probational salvation, which is what is the reality if you believe you have to behave just good enough to get it. Jesus should have said, if you believe in me, I'll give you a probational uh, eternal life, which is a conundrum anyway. That's like good grief. doesn't work. Probational eternal. No, he said, I've given you eternal life and your salvation and mine. When we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for my sins and his resurrection to offer me eternal life, and I believe Jesus can do it. I believe in him. God says, I give you my word you're going to heaven and when God makes an oath he keeps it and so your eternal destiny is based on the word of God praise God now that was all free that was good let me go back back in my thing Deuteronomy 7 8 he said I'm going to keep my oath the Lord hath brought you out how with a mighty hand 
in the book of Daniel, Daniel the prophet, 9.15, And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. And I could go on and on. Lots of verses in the Old Testament talk about a mighty hand, and it's specifically related to when God took the people out of slavery and bondage, and the blood was applied on the doorpost, and the death angel came, and, and God led his people out and delivered them out of bondage, then took them to the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea, and delivered them that they could live now uh, the Christian life and head towards the promised land, which is victorious Christian living, and God does it all, and he did it how? With his mighty hand. He demonstrated to Egypt his wonders. You know, I know there are some Egyptians that chose to follow the Lord because they saw the plagues of the frogs and the boils and the hail and the darkness. They saw the mighty power of God. See, this event is a picture of our redemption out of the bondage of sin through the power of God and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here's today's thought, all right? Here's where it comes down. You say, how do you get over anxiety? KCS quote for the day. Holly, if you're listening, Holly always, she's got a whole book of my quotes, which be worth exactly nothing, but that's okay. I love it. Here it is. Getting over anxiety requires getting under the mighty hand of God. Getting over anxiety requires getting under the mighty hand of God. Peter is saying to get over on anxiety requires that we get godly leadership in our lives and get under proper submission to godly leadership in the life and then get a flock around you that other people are, that are going the, the same route and the same flock that you're going and you have a submissive attitude one to another and you learn from other sheep along the way and you're clothed in humility and you, 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 re, you receive what God has placed in your life and you choose submission is choosing humility which produces grace which keeps us under the mighty hand of God. Do you see the process? See, if I lose sight of grace, (laughs) almost every time when I lose sight of grace, I get out from underneath where I'm supposed to be. You have to know that you are in right relationship with the people in your lives. Say, what do you mean? Well, if you're part of a church, as I mentioned last week, you, you you should have a pastor in your life. If you're married, you have a spouse. Yes, I know wives are to submit themselves to the husband, but you know, the Bible's very clear. Husbands are to submit themselves to one another in the, in the flock and also to the commitment they made of marriage. Amazing how many husbands don't get a clue on this. That when you said, I do, when you created this thing called marriage, that you covenanted before God, that you would provide leadership and you would submit to that calling in your life. In other words, if you're going to have a good home, you're going to have to submit to some things. Say, what do you mean, Pastor? I mean, sometimes instead of going and playing baseball all day after you come home from work, you need to come home home from work and be dad. Nothing against baseball. Nothing saying you can't do any of those kind of things. But that means sometimes you may have to make a decision that is to your own personal neglect because it's for the betterment of your wife and your kids. I promise you, husbands, you start showing that kind of love, which... Kind of what Ephesians talks about. We're showing that we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. You start doing that and all of a sudden you get some leadership. They, they won't fight you near as much when they know that you're going to do whatever it is to meet the needs and even the wants that they have. See, that's being in the right relationship 
when you're not in a right relationship with your spouse, it's hard to be under the mighty hand of God. See, I, in my mind, I think like I'm standing here this morning being where I know I'm supposed to be, and you can't see it. Maybe you can, and if you can, that's cool. But probably right above me, there's this mighty hand of God. I see this giant floating hand. <laughs> giant, you know, big strong hands. And it's right over the top of me. When I go over here, it just kind of, kind of stays right around me. Now, DT's not here probably because of the weather this morning, but this, the mighty hand of God, when DT gets too close, the hand goes, boom! <laughs> that was funny. Okay, I, <laughs> DT, you're not here. Hey, you're a free shot. Free shot. I know he'd be honking the horn at me this morning going, that ain't right. Um, but I have to be where I'm supposed to be. Because when you are where you're supposed to be, and for a believer, ought to be part of a local church. That's very clear in the, in the New Testament. If you're married, you should have a right place to your spouse. Uh, you have circumstances in your life sometimes that come along that God calls you certain places. I know I talked to Andrew before church. He was talking about years ago in his life, he had a fundamental decision to decide, am I going to stay in the military or get out on, on disability? Because he fell off, fell off a stinking tower and fell down a thousand feet or something. Two thousand and right when he about hit the ground, the mighty hand of God came along and went, boom, you know, sent him right. He goes, but I look back, and that was a fundamental big decision I had to make on my career. And I'm astounded how often Christians will make decisions without ever considering, because Andrew said when they told him, Andrew's response when they said, well, you've got to decide either to get in disability or stay in, he said his, his response was, well, I'm going to do this or that. He said, no, my response is, I'm going to go home and pray with my wife about this. I know in my life I've made some choices where I've decided some things and I've just said, God, you're going to agree with me on this and I've explained it to God why it's such a good choice. Ever done that? And we get out of where we should be. I mean, the mighty hand of God, I don't know what, maybe you're saying this morning, Pastor, you don't know the circumstance I'm in. No, I, I don't know the circumstance you're in and I'm, I, I know enough. I know there's folks here this morning that are in some really tough ones. But do you not think that the mighty hand of God, if he wanted to change your circumstance, could do it? Do it anytime he wants. So if he's chosen for whatever his purpose is, which we do know what his purpose is, but if he's chosen to keep you in a place and you've come to God with a clear heart and a clean heart and you've humbled yourself before God and God chooses to leave you there sometimes you have to submit to it um, it doesn't mean the situation is the people around it are always doing the right thing <laughs> sometimes he chooses to allow us to stay in a place of suffering Maybe a place of fear or maybe that causes us to deal with some anxiety issues. But when I know I'm under the mighty hand of God and I know he could do whatever he wants to do, but he's chosen to have me deal with this thing. Um, I must by faith believe that he's got his reasons. When we get settled... Trusting God, recognizing the greatness, his greatness in delivering me and you from so great a death. 
Just as in the Old Testament, Peter went back to the mighty hand of God and he told these Jewish people, remember thousands of years ago, how God took our people and with a mighty hand he delivered them out of bondage and through the blood and it's a picture of the work of Christ. He's reminding them, never lose sight of the fact, no matter what battle you're in, that the biggest battle you will ever face, the one you, the one that is the most consequential in your life is not your job situation, it's not your money situation, it's your sin situation. And if you've been blessed to be born again through the finished work of Jesus Christ and the blood is applied to your life and now your sins have been washed away and you've been declared righteous, that's the biggest problem you'll ever face and God's delivered you from it. When you lose sight of that priority and how important that is, we start accepting, oh, this is the biggest deal. No, 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 no. God delivered you from your biggest problem, <laughs> which is your sin. This is exactly what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Does that not sound like anxiety to you? But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, who delivered us from so great a death, past tense, and doth deliver, present tense, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver, future tense. He is the mighty God that delivers us. And you and I have to be under the mighty hand of God. He tells him, if you'll get there, that he's going to exalt you in due time. Sometime. You might be down right now, but if you're a child of God and you're trying your best to serve him and you're humbling yourself for him and you're where you're supposed to be, just mark it down, mark it down. Some point in time, he's going to exalt you. Maybe it'll be in this life, maybe it'll be in the next one. I don't know, that's, that's a God thing. Matter of fact, when you and I are underneath the mighty hand of God in a position of humility, settled under and submitted to the authority in our life and the relationships in our life, this is why right next verse is our text verse for the whole chapter, casting all your care upon him. And people say, why is it so hard for me to cast my care and all my care upon him? Why can't I unload it on God? Well, one of the things I'd ask you to consider is are you under the mighty hand of God? If you're in the wrong place, doing your own thing in areas of your life where you know are not in obedience to God and then you want somehow just to be able to cast all your cares on him, it don't work that way. You've got to get under the mighty hand of God. To get over, you must get under. That's pretty good, isn't it? Done it all myself. Well, the Lord gave it to me. I think about how God exalted Joseph. I read a verse earlier in due time. I think Joseph had anxiety issues. Think the boy needed family counseling? <laughs> you know, sold him into slavery and then he goes there and works his way up the ladder a little bit and then the, the boss's wife tempts him when he denies her, then she turns him in and he ends up in prison for doing the right thing and then, you know, I don't know about you, that, that caused me anxiety and then he gets into prison there and does the right thing in prison and gets submitted under authority under the jailer there and the jailer trusts him but then he helps the people down there and then they, they, they forget about him and they betray him too and he, he, over and over in his life he just had anxiety after anxiety after anxiety. I would dare say greater than anybody that's in this room this morning or listening to me online, I doubt any of us have the testimony like Joseph but if you read the story you'll find that the Bible keeps saying but the Lord was with 
Joseph. Because Joseph was exactly where God wanted him to be, which sometimes means in prison. But in due time, God exalted him. Just like King David, least likely to succeed David. Remember the little shepherd boy, the youngest of the family, disrespected by his brothers. Remember he shows up in the battlefield and they, they say he's got a haughty heart and you're just full of pride, you know. Here he was trying to do the right thing and serve and they said, no, you're just, you know, people, they, they just counted him out and then eventually he does the right thing. He defeats Goliath, saves the nation, goes and serves the king, plays the harp for the king to calm the king's nerves because he was not where he was supposed to be. And you know what? What did he get for all his goodness and for all his help? All he got was the king wanting to kill him and you know the story that King Saul chased old David all around trying to kill him over and over again which meant David spent a lot of his life living inside a cave here he did everything God wanted him to do and he's got the most powerful person in the land with an entire army trying to kill him you think that bring a little anxiety I know what I'd be saying if I was inside that cave I mean God I wiped out Goliath the king told me I'd get his daughter and become the prince and everything was gonna be great from there and somehow doing the right thing killing the giant Now I'm living in a cave. You know, Joseph and David both had opportunity to set things right, quote unquote. Joseph could have, when he was exalted, remember his brothers show up after that? I know what I would have done. Hey, brothers, let me show you what a pit looks like. Remember the one you threw me in? Hey, brothers, let me show you what life is like being a slave. No rights owned by another human being. Let me show you what that's like, boys. And in due time, maybe you'll get exalted like I am. No, remember, you know what Joseph said. Who knows? This is a God thing. That God's going to take the evil you meant for me and he's going to make something good. Remember King David. Here he is living in the cave. And God puts King Saul where? Right in that cave taking a nap where David's hiding. David could have ended his problem. But both David and Joseph said, no, it's more important for me to be under the mighty hand of God than it is for me to solve my problems my own way. David said, I'm not going to put my hand on God's anointed. Mm. That's good. Thank you, hon. One person thinks that's good. They continued under the mighty hand of God. Last illustration, maybe one of my favorites, like good old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego threatened to be burned alive. Bow down when the music starts and worship the idol, or we throw you in the fiery furnace. That's anxiety. Said that this morning, right, Joe? We could do that. Sing better this morning, or we throw you in a fiery furnace. Pretty good motivator, wouldn't it? We'd have all joined you on that last great is the Lord thing, you know. You're on a solo on that one. If you're not listening online, Joe, part of it. And yet in the invitation song this morning, I think you're singing another solo. So, um, you know, appreciate you, Brother Joe. But they bow down to this idol or we throw you in the fiery furnace. And I love their answer. It's been one of the most influential Bible stories in my life. And this is the one that every Christian needs to accept and embrace is those three young men stood up and looked at the king and said, you know what? Even if our God does not deliver us, 
even if you throw us into the fiery furnace, even if we are literally burned alive, we will not bow. We are going to stay under the mighty hand of God, and if it means it costs my, in this life, it means it costs me my life. But I'm going to trust God that in the end times, he's going to make it all right. And guess what? We're still today talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thousands of years later. Why? Because they stood under the mighty hand of God. They got thrown in the furnace. And there, you know, the mighty hand of God went around and around. As a matter of fact, God showed up himself. The Lord Jesus gave a big hug there, untied him, and said, hey, guys, how you doing in the fire? It's pretty good, isn't it? And when you and I deal with anxiety and you're in the furnace of your anxiety, oh, my having the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God show up and give you a hug. But you gotta be where you're supposed to be. To get over, you gotta get under. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the teaching of your word this morning. Lord, I pray as all of us, I know, battle anxiety to one way or another, but some of us really, it's a tough, tough, tough battle. Um, God, I pray that we would evaluate our lives and find out, God, is there places that I, uh, I know I'm at that I should not be? Maybe there's a job that they know they shouldn't be at, um, but they're fearful to step out where you're calling them. Maybe there's an issue in a husband and wife in their relationship, and they're, they're, there's not a oneness there. There's not a mutual submission. Maybe, maybe there's a problem in, in your spiritual life. Whatever it is, my dear friend, you need to get that right with God so you can get in the right place to be under the mighty hand of God, to deal with the anxiety that is going to be a part of this life. How about it? If you're here watching or, or watching online and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you don't know that your sin problem, which is your biggest problem, <laughs> you may not realize it, but you die without God. You die without Jesus Christ. The Bible's clear. You're going to spend eternity separated from God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, believe the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you believe in the Lord Jesus for your sin this morning and his gift that he's offering you, eternal life? Would you receive it today by faith in Christ? Holy Spirit of God, help us to be a church. Help us to be folks that come every Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and throughout the week to be people that are clothed with humility. God, I know your word says only by pride cometh contention. And, um, Lord, sometimes we are called to stand for right things, but God, help us to do it with a humble spirit. Holy Spirit of God, seal decisions in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?